1: about time we got a sunny day while doing this. Of course, it's on Chargers Day, the hometown team, the team that I happen to do a lot of work for these days. Uh, Also, shout out to all my friends over at Chargers Media that may or may not be watching this right now. We are coming to you from downtown LA on a gorgeous June afternoon, drinking blue mezcal margaritas, we'll call them Chargeritas to keep on theme. Uh, There's a lot of hope in here in LA for the first time that, uh, you know, the Chargers might finally be able to go on a run here, get over the hump,
0: uh, overcome some of the deficiencies that have tripped them up in previous seasons. And uh, yeah,
1: I would say the outlook's downright sunny. Five seconds into the show and I spill on myself. It's impressive. Speaking of staying on theme, so much hope only to be dashed immediately. It really is a Chargers episode.
0: (sighs) It's blue on blue. It doesn't even show.
1: (laughs) All right, Jay, just fucking roll it. Get us out of here. Welcome back once again to the Food Lake Football Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Coleman, if you don't know this already. That is My wonderful co-host, EJ Snyder. Just being a pain in my ass today, making fun of me all day. It's my job. Being such a gracious host to you. I know. Just abusing the hospitality. But if
0: you didn't pour your drink down your front, it wouldn't be so easy. At least my cats love you. That's a saving (laughs) grace. Yeah. Uh,
1: Um. Yeah, very interesting team that we're talking about today, the L.A. Chargers, who... Despite virtually everything going wrong last year. I mean, Justin Herbert was playing hurt. Bosa got hurt. Keenan got hurt. Mike got hurt. Khalil got hurt. Rashad was out. You know, he could have come back if they made the AFC Championship game. But unfortunately, Michael Davis got hurt in the playoffs, which kind of, you know, spurned the uh, the, the Jaguars' comeback and, and kind of ruined the season all in one night. It was just an injury-riddled season um that was it was upsetting because we know what that team could have been we know what they probably should have been and it ended up being a a, a pretty bitter taste at the end and yet they still won 10 games it was still uh, you know by win loss record a successful season i just think it it ended up being sour because we know what it should have been from the outside looking
0: in That is Chargers Seasons in a nutshell. I have to say it is one of the uh, fan bases I am most glad to not be a part of because heartbreak comes baked in if you are a Chargers fan for the last 25 years. But certainly in recent history, we have a verb for that. It's called Chargering and it has to do usually with injury. Injury is is the impetus, is the spark that starts to derail or unravel things late in the season. Last season seemed no different. And yes, I think the reason it hurts the most is because everybody says, but if that didn't happen, we know what it could have been every year. We're hoping this year is different. We're hoping this year has some changes. But in 2022, as you said, 10 and seven overall, second in that division. Home record of five and three, road record of five and four. Very good performances, both home and away. And in the last five games, four and one really sort of rolled strongly into the finish and then couldn't quite get over that last
1: hump. But this year might be the
0: year that they do that.
1: Well, they are deeper this year in terms of personnel. I feel like um, through this past off season, they've kind of fortified themselves a little bit against injury. Obviously, you know, if your quarterback has a rib injury and if your left tackles out for the season, if your two best pass rushers get hurt and your two best receivers get hurt and you're down to, um, God, DeAndre (laughs) Carter, I guess, is like wide receiver one, like makeshift wide receiver one, if not Palmer, (laughs) makeshift wide receiver one. Like if all that doesn't happen, they're going to be fine. But um, even so, they're still more insulated from injury this year than they were last year. I'm trying not to buy into the hype too much. Because I feel like I curse them every time that I do. But on paper, if I had to put this Chargers team up against, say, Kansas City Chiefs, I'd be willing to bet that the Chargers have a better chance of knocking off the Chiefs. Just in a a one game, put your best 22 on the field. I bet the Chargers have the best case to to knock off, or at least a better case to knock off the Chiefs, more so than probably 90% of other NFL teams. Like They are in that level of talent. They... They just have to stay on the field. We're hoping they unlock the offense this year. We'll talk a lot about that
0: in this particular episode. But looking back at 2022, talk about how good the Chargers were at being a football team. This year, we're using something called the effectiveness summary to do that. We're using EPA per play as the backbone stat. Talking about rushing offense, passing offense, rushing defense, passing defense, all graded by EPA per play, and then points scored and points allowed. That gives us six numbers. We're taking their league rank so that we can compare them to other teams. Rushing offense, 18th. Very solid, I think, watching the Chargers, watching what they're able to accomplish, largely with Austin Eckler as their primary back. 18th feels about right. You might have thought it was a little bit higher, but mid-pack is where most folks would assume they'd be. Passing offense, 14th. This is what we'll talk about with Justin Herbert as your trigger man and a wide receiver core that has a lot of talent. I think most fans perennially, Charger or otherwise, assume that the Chargers will be a top 10 passing team. They haven't been able to achieve that rank. We're hoping some changes get them there this year. Rushing defense. Ouch. Mm -hmm. Last in the league. 32nd league ranked EPA per play. (laughs) unable to stop the run has been a very common refrain if you're a Chargers fan. Again, some moves this year we hope that will buttress that. They don't need to get to the top 10 in rush defense to win in the NFL. If they get to top 18, top 15, they'll be fine. They haven't been able to achieve that. It's been a repetitive Achilles heel for them. And in terms of pass coverage, they were ninth. They were very good against the pass, which I think a lot of outside viewers that maybe didn't pay a lot of attention to
1: the Chargers down the stretch would think, really? They
0: were top 10? Didn't they fall apart? Well, they have
1: a really good secondary when they're healthy. Agreed. But again, the, the health thing is a factor. But uh, I think when you, when you look at their pass rush rotation right. and the guys they have in the secondary, but going into this year, like Michael Davis is an amazing corner. Might be the most underrated corner in the league for what he does for them. As just this big physical, um, you know, beat em up press corner that they can go put on an X receiver and, and say, take him away. And he will. And he's so good in the red zone as well because he's so hard to throw around. Um, you got Asante, who's, you know, one of the better up and coming young corners that can play inside or outside. Derwin is Derwin, right? They have a great secondary. And when Joey and Khalil are healthy, they have a great pass rush. And you throw Thule on top of that this year. They got guys, they really do. The run defense thing, um, you know. Obviously, some of the injuries they took. Uh, you know, Tito went down with a, a pretty brutal injury last year. Like that was that was pretty rough for them. And and they've tried to make some improvements in the linebacking core because I feel like um, their linebackers last year did not give them what they wanted. So they bring in Kendricks, they draft Dayon Henley. I I've never been a Kenneth Murray guy, so I wouldn't mm-hmm. be surprised if Dayon you know kind of starts eating into his snaps sooner rather than later here once he kind of gets up to up to speed with the defense but like they brought in Eric Kendricks to just try to fix that run defense because they needed somebody who had good instincts who could tackle in space and, and Eric's not what he was in his prime but he's still better than what they had last year it is an area they need to improve in they've made some personnel changes I think
0: again from the outside looking in folks made an impression of brandon staley as a head coach as a defensive guy Mm -hmm. thought automatically expectation wise that the defense was going to be up here when he came in it took a while to get going and they had low defensive ranks they might have sort of not looked back at the end of last year and gone oh against the pass when all these pieces that they've aligned on purpose you talked about the pass rush the secondary and how they work together When they're clicking, they're a top 10 unit against the pass in the NFL, and that is a ranking you do need to win. You do need that ranking to be very high. Points scored, 391 points. This team could roll up points. That's 13th overall in the league. That is enough points to win. Points allowed, 384, so they came in 22nd compared to all their league Patriots. Points differential, they were plus 7. That was 11th best in the league. Overall, this team has the pieces. They falter down the stretch in key areas, but with a few improvements, and it's really to that rushing defense number so that they don't just get run on and stay on the field and stay on the field and get tired, they can be very good. They're already pretty good in some key metrics. So we take those top six numbers, divide them by six. We get a bootleg power score number. Chargers came out at 18 flat one of six teams in the overall league to come out at 18. I know power score is a little confusing. We've heard some comments about that. So when we do our AFC West wrap up, we'll be halfway through the league, and we're gonna show you where all the teams we've talked about come out in terms of stacking those
1: bootleg power scores. 18th, pretty solid rank though. Yeah, and and 18 flat specifically, like if we were stacking all of the raw scores without rounding, uh, it would be the 20th best in the league. Um, which is, again, it's lower than what Chargers fans would want, but if they just fix the run defense or at least makes the, make the run defense average, that would probably boost them enough to be, you know, top 12, 15 team in the league where we kind of expect them to be, right, right. based on their talent level. Um, looking specifically at schematic information, and we'll start start with the defense here, and this kind of helps give context to... The EPA numbers, right? These are the the actual schemes they were running last year. Uh, they were a a fairly balanced defense in terms of coverage, uh, you know, dead average in terms of calling cover one. So like straight up man coverage, single high, which they had a bunch of corners that could play man. So that's to be expected. Uh, they were dead average in quarters at 16th, which Brandon Staley comes from a coaching tree that you would expect them to be fairly high in, in straight up quarters. I think if you look at how much quarter quarter half they played, which they were fifth in that, kind of explains why they were uh, not low, but low for what you expect in quarters. And instead, they leaned more into quarter quarter half, which is a thing that a lot of, uh, you know, Fangio tree guys, if you look at all the teams that are like tops in quarter quarter half around the league, most of them are in the Fangio tree because that tree in particular really likes quarter quarter half. Um, now, Staley's defense in particular was among the best ones at running it. Uh, and you look at Denver uh, under Jiro Averro, uh, who also coached under Staley at one point with the Rams. Uh, you look at uh, Seattle with Clint Hurt. Um, and those were the two teams that were really, really good at it that also called it at like a top five to six rate. What do the Chargers, who were good at it, the Seahawks, who were good at it, and the Broncos, who were good at it, all have in common? They all have a big ass-kicking press corner. Michael Davis played essentially the same role for the Chargers that Sertan did for Denver uh, and that Tariq did for Seattle. You kind of can't run that coverage as much as the Chargers did without having a Michael Davis. And so you can see how when he went down in the playoffs and it kind of fundamentally changed what they could call and who could actually be like, a big physical press corner for them. Once they didn't have that and they're throwing like or Taylor out there to try to survive, that's when they started getting diced up by Jacksonville. So, again, this is a style of defense that you need a specific type of corner to be able to pull off. Luckily, they have one in Michael Davis. Uh, as a result, though, relatively low in cover two. They're 26th in cover two. They were 12th and zero. Uh, and they were 21st in cover three. I would imagine just because of the continuity in the coaching staff and the continuity in the in the personnel, we're going to see them lean even more into that style this year. And as long as uh, Michael Davis stays healthy, they're probably going to be just as good at it, if not better, this year.
0: And I can see the cover two ranking going up from twenty sixth to tick because Kendricks is better than the folks they had there mm-hmm. in the middle. Again, not what he was as a young player in terms of range, but has more range – than folks he's replacing i could see that number tick up as well i think davis going back to him as a player you talked about him being underrated and how you wouldn't think necessarily him going down would fundamentally change the way the chargers play defense but it did and it's he's one of those players in the league i think has one of the largest gaps between the perception of who he is and actually who he is Mm -hmm. especially in terms of importance to this team and this scheme If you said, you know, list the top 10 most important corners for leveraging their defense, I don't think Davis would be anywhere near that list. In actuality, he's pretty close. He should be, He's top top 15 for sure and could be top 10 in reality. I don't think a lot of casual fans outside of L.A. would say that Michael Davis is sort of a linchpin player in a secondary around the NFL, but with all the
1: things we've laid out, he absolutely is. Looking at their blitz percentages, which again, considering how many injuries they took up front, I kind of expected this to be um, high or like like above average-ish, right? Because typically when you lose a Joey Bosa or you lose a Khalil Mack, you kind of have to blitz a little bit more to compensate. And yeah, they were 12th in, in blitzing on third and short. Uh, they were third in blitzing and third and medium. Like they did not have the confidence to really get home with four in third and medium. So they were sending extra guys at about 56%. And they were uh, slightly above average 14th in terms of blitzing on third and long. And uh, overall stunt percentage, despite being a relatively high blitz rate, was also seventh in the NFL. So they were doing everything possible Mm -hmm. to try to just scheme up pass rush. And they were just trying to survive until Joey and Khalil got back. And they did their best you know, I, I, I like to see coaches, you know, conform to the realities of their personnel. <laughs> and, you know, tip of the hat to them. They they did what they could last year. Both of those guys, even when they're healthy,
0: are good stunt players. Mm-hmm. They both know how to squeeze a stunt and get pressure off that, I would say, better than a lot of their contemporaries. But without them, those rushes where you're not using a stunt, you're probably going to have to. Yeah. You're, you're going to have to increase, use it as a force multiplier, whatever you want to say. Because in rushes where you would have either one of those guys, and you almost always have one of them plan to go for a quote unquote straight rush, a non-stunt rush. If you have a lesser player in that role, they're just not going to win. You got to <laughs> do something. And it's nice to see, like you said, coaches adapt to the reality. We see a lot of coaches every year in the NFL um, on both sides of the ball not adapt to changing realities and those teams typically don't have the best results so they did what they could um i think again everybody wants to see the chargers at full power everybody wants to see that roster working as it's intended and it seems like every year on offense or defense
1: or both in the worst years that doesn't happen looking at the offensive uh numbers from last year and keep in mind these are going to change because lombardi's gone um Kellen Moore is in Woo-hoo! which oh my <laughs> god like how were they that lucky that that f- for some reason like I don't know if it was like Mike McCarthy was threatened by Kellen Moore or if Kellen realized that his best path to being a head coach was getting out of Dallas because well, obviously square. Kellen wants to be a head coach right and he should be eventually like he's a he's a great offensive coordinator like you look at the offensive metrics in Dallas last year they were a great offense They were top tier in red zone percentage. They were top tier in points scored. They ran the ball a lot, which is why when McCarthy said, like, oh, I want to run the ball more, it's like, Mike, you were ninth in run-pass ratio. What the fuck do you want? Like, they ran the ball a lot, and they were really good at it, and they were really good at scoring. And, like, Cooper Rush played for a third of the season, and they were still great. What was wrong with Kellen Moore? Absolutely nothing. So Dallas' loss is the Chargers' gain. Thank God he's here now. Uh, Because him plus Justin Herbert and Eckler and Mike and Keenan and bringing in QJ, it's going to be awesome. So I kind of want to look at what Lombardi did last year versus what Kellen did in Dallas. Run schemes specifically, there's a lot of it that was fairly similar, Mm -hmm. um, which is also why I think Kellen is going to mesh pretty quickly with what the Chargers do. Uh, because they were uh, 15th in outside zone calls last year. Dallas was 16th, so they were right there. It was like a difference of a percentage, right? Inside zone, they were 14th. Uh, The Cowboys were 20th. They were more outside zone heavy than inside zone heavy uh, under Kellen. Duo, relatively comparable. They were within 1% of each other. Um, Here's where things got a little bit different. Yeah. Uh, The Chargers were 14th in power. Cowboys were 26th, while the Chargers were 4th I'm sorry, We're 24th in counter while the Cowboys were 17th. Yeah. So it's just kind of a flip-flop of do they like counter more than power or vice versa. I would expect, especially when I uh, did a film study for Chargers Media on Kellen Moore's run game, specifically I noted how he kind of wove counter into his game plan to counteract fronts that were good against all the outside zone he was calling. Uh, in draw, they were the exact same. And then in pin and pull, uh, the Cowboys were 7th. Well, Lombardi uh, had them at 17th last year. So, again, fairly similar in terms of leaning heavily on the outside zone run game. Also keep in mind that under Kellen Moore last year, Dallas was 10th in 12 personnel usage. They really love multi-tight end sets there. And out of those multi-tight end sets, they ran 63% of the time. I I don't want to say it's like a Shanahan-style offense because Kellen never coached under Shanahan. But in terms of, like, raw numbers of like heavy on outside zone, heavy on 12 personnel. Uh, It's, it it translates to a similar uh, style statistically. Be interesting to see
0: if personnel wise, he sticks with two tight end sets as primary run sets. Cause when you look at the tight ends for the chargers, very different not the same thing not right. the same type physically of tight ends in terms of Y in line tight ends that dalton schultz is the world the cowboys employed um they have more receiving tight ends they have the taller faster or faster or taller yeah <laughs> everett's faster or it's everett but yeah. trey mckinney's sitting there and he could see a lot more usage because of his ability to block yeah coming out of the system he played in college. So it'll be fascinating to see how they weave that in, if that gets reduced because of the personnel they have on hand, or if they find other ways to do it, because they certainly have some larger wide receivers that can block, Do they put those guys in motion. Um, One of the things I like the most about Kellen is that he is very sharp. Mm -hmm. He is smart, he will adapt. It is not, hey, I have a system and we need to collect guys or else I can't run it. It's, hey, I have a system, how can I adapt it to what's here, and I, can't wait! I didn't use my, outs- I used my outside voice, not my inside voice, when you mentioned <laughs> that Lombardi had moved on. Uh, I didn't mean it. No, I did actually. I'm thoroughly excited to see the unlock, the potential unlock of Kellen Moore with Justin Herbert, and I think a lot of NFL fans are with me because seeing Justin Herbert sort of revert to what was the worst about him at Oregon in the pros after having some early seasons where he opened it up vertically was just painful it was like and it wasn't his fault completely <laughs> agree. at all so the bad man is gone yes the new fun offensive coach is here and i think hopes uh spring eternal or are high for improved chargers offensive success and i am here for it because justin herbert i think has been devalued over the last couple of years people they always put him up there physically but that's the caveat they're like well physically is one of the top 5 cornerbacks
1: Or quarterbacks in the NFL. Oh, this whole social media quarterback Yeah, and I'm like, dude,
0: he's so talented. He's one of those guys that every week, if you pull apart Chargers film, even late in the season when a lot of people have stopped watching, there are two or three every week that you're just like, what? Not possible. So looking forward to seeing more of those more often in the mainstream
1: of the offense and that hopefully – helping power LA to greater heights. Looking at their passing offense now, by the way, um, shield your eyes. (laughs) It's, how do I phrase this? Not well. (laughs) You know what? I'm turning over a new leaf. I'm not gonna be mean. I'm just gonna give the numbers and I'll let you make the conclusions (laughs) silently in your head. So uh, the average depth of target was a, a big topic of discussion. Last year in Charger Land, seven point four, a dot, which was thirtieth in the NFL, and everybody knew that Justin Herbert A has a cannon, and B has a very accurate cannon, and that C is at his best when he's unleashed deep down the field, like when when Steichen was with LA and they let him just throw post routes into zero because he could and get like eighty yard touchdowns to Guyton. That's what we wanted, right? Let Justin Herbert be Justin Herbert. You know how many hitch routes they threw last year in L.A.? 87. That's third most in the NFL. Hitch routes with Justin Herbert are like taking a Ferrari to the grocery store. Like, sure, you look good while doing it, but why? What's the point? Yeah, I can. What are we doing? Why would you? And it was just like that all year. And I get it. Like Keenan was hurt and Mike was banged up. and But you have other receivers on the roster that are professionals, right? Like they can – you can throw something beyond 7.4 yards deep. There are teams like the Texans that had, had higher average depth of target with freaking Davis Mills at quarterback. Like mm-hmm. the Bears were higher. Like – there is no excuse to throw 87 hitch routes when your quarterback is Justin Herbert. I'm sorry. There's just not. And it was frustrating, and it it put a cap on what the offense could have been. And, it, and I feel like just blaming injuries while, yes, they were a factor um, is too simplistic because the offense was – again, I'm trying not to be mean – The offense was not built for this quarterback and now that they have Kellen who will go deep and who will allow Justin to take shots and who will allow Justin to be Justin like the ceiling for this passing game is all of a sudden off like there is no roof here like you have for once a perfect match between play caller and play executor that the Chargers haven't had in quite some time and quite frankly I don't know if they've ever had this and that's saying a lot it's been a long time might be back to
0: uh their super bowl days and before that their afl days when it was just bombs away open it up and they haven't had a super weapon at quarterback
1: even in those days that i was mentioning herbert is with with all respect to dan fouts and philip rivers by the way i'm this is not slander to rivers
0: or to fouts neither of them physically were the equal of justin herbert Mm -hmm. They may well have been both better quarterbacks. I'll take that argument all day, given their career arcs. But Justin's young still. Physically, neither of them are the equals, running or passing to Justin. So I am all for the opening of this offense to see what he can do, because we got a glimpse of it. It's not like he's never done it. This is not pure projection, right? He's already done it, and then it went away. And that, I think, is what makes it most frustrating is we know it's there. We know it's possible. We've seen it. We want
1: to see it again. And this season, I think we get the chance to. You know what's also amazing? Just random stat. Average time to throw, they were 17th in the NFL last year, despite having a super low average depth of target. Also signals to me that people just couldn't get open. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And I feel like when you are calling, like, Hank concepts so much, which is – so like if you're if you're like scrolling through the, the wheel of plays on Madden or whatever and you just see like all <laughs> curls, like that's essentially Hank, right? Yeah. And when the off or when the defense knows that's coming, uh, and and the guys like, you know, get to their landmarks and they turn around and wait for the ball and the linebacker's literally sitting right in front of them, and Justin's like, uh oh. <laughs> like, nothing's that. there. Like I feel like that kind of explains more the average time to throw than anything else, is just like not allowing receivers to run laterally. Not allowing receivers to run deep, not allowing receivers to run any sort of routes that will actually get them open. And so Justin had to like just make things happen by himself with broken ribs, by the way, and eventually find guys on scramble drills. It's just, oh God, I cannot properly express how frustrating that offense was last year. And I'm sure there are Chargers fans in the comments right now that are, are singing glory, glory, hallelujah that Kellen's here. And I'll, I'll let them sound off about Lombardi all they want to. Right. Again, I will I will keep myself in check, but suffice to say, I am ready for this new era. We are excited. So if we look at the
0: power structure of the Chargers, Tom Telesco, year 10 already, which seems like it went by in a flash. Uh, Brandon Staley, we've talked about as the head coach. He's made improvements each year. I, I think a lot of the perception of head coaches around the league, uh, including the one that Kellen came from, Um, are influenced by their offensive coordinator and how much offensive success they have if they are not the maestro, if they are not Andy Reid, if they are not Sean McVay for the most part and calling it themselves. Whatever their team does on offense puts a very distinct hue on their head coaching tenure. Brandon Staley's has been brought down by having Lombardi around for the last couple of years. Hopefully, again, if he can continue to be the sort of head guy on defense and coordinate the overall team that is has good enough numbers to win and let Kellen take that offense to where we think he can take it, I think his sort of head coaching term will be looked at much differently <laughs> than it has like, Man, you're also trying not to be mean today. <laughs> I'm doing the very best I can. So we've talked a lot about offensive coordinator, Kellen Moore, uh, defensive coordinator, Derek Ansley, he's in year one um, and Special teams coordinator, Ryan Ficken. It's, this is a good group of coaches and they needed the unlock. They needed to unlock potentially their best player or the player that will have the most leverage on the outcome. And we feel like the pieces are in place for that to happen this year. We're excited about that. Some other notable offensive coaches. Pat White is an offensive assistant. Love it. I know, former West Virginia quarterback, Dolphins and Washington. Quarterback from the NFL,
1: a man ahead of his time. Oh, could you imagine him in like a modern day McVay or Shanahan or not? No, not Greg Roman. Greg Roman would waste him. McDaniel. McDaniel. Yep. Like he would shred people. Yeah,
0: he had a lot of skills that weren't, uh, let's just say, fully understood. Uh, for those of you that don't know Pat White, very mobile, uh, considered undersized. He was right at about six foot. Um, you know, was equally happy running or throwing. Was a real threat with his legs. Before that, was viewed as a as a as a big plus for mm-hmm. NFL quarterbacks. It was much more of a pocket structure when he came out and was drafted. But he's going to be a really fun piece for. Kellen and Justin and then the rest of the offense to lean on. On defense, um, Tom, Don- Tom Donatel is the defensive passing game coordinator and secondary coach. He is the son of NFL defensive coordinator Ed Donatel. Mike key stand is a front seven specialist. Have to is make that, a note. Is that Harry's kid? It is Harry's kid. Oh. I mean, how many He stands. You're right, exactly. <laughs> the name was what caught me, but I stayed for the title. First time I've seen that title on an NFL team. Front seven specialist. Front set, It's like pass rush specialist, but it is it literally listed on the Chargers website as front seven specialist. Never seen it before. Think it's cool because that is a group of players that have to work together and traditionally have been separated by position coaches, inside linebacker, outside linebacker, and defensive line, depending on the arrangement, possibly up to three coaches. And now you sort of have an overseer, if you will, of here's what we're doing in the quote-unquote front half of the defense on a lot of plays. Thought it was fascinating, so I wanted to bring that up. And then uh, the assistant
1: defensive line coach, John Timu. You can't go on an episode without bringing up a former Bears player that's a coach, can you? Or a former Husky. <laughs> Come on, this guy's a Husky and a Bear.
0: You're definitely going to get the John Timu reference from me. Um, so interesting coaching staff in terms of, again, of Uh, Some people will call it nepotism, but we'll just call it coaching lineage of, you know, as fathers to sons, um, former players. Interesting mix of experience, young and old. I think the pieces are in place. The big unlock has been how can we get this team over the hump, both injury wise, which has very little to do with the coaches and then unlocking Justin to be truly one of the top five quarterbacks in the NFL, not just athletically
1: taking that level away and saying, no, he's just a top five NFL quarterback. Right now, uh, shifting slightly more to a fantasy lens, but also more talking real football here. Uh, Justin's going as QB seven. For reference, you have like Justin Fields going as QB five. Mm -hmm. Deshaun's going as QB nine. So uh, obviously a lot of people place premium uh, when it comes to fantasy on Mobility and being able to get rushing yards and everything like that. It's, it's always been a, a reality of fantasy, right? Is that uh, mobile quarterbacks are king. I think people forget that Justin could run too. And so QB7, I feel like, is the absolute floor here because, A, he's one of the five, I'll give you six, best passers in the NFL. Mm-hmm. B, he's like 6'5 and runs like a friggin' deer. So will we see them design, like on purpose, design a bunch of runs for Justin Probably not, but you know, if he's running around and he has to take off, like he can get a 20 or 30 yard chunk fairly easily. Like, I still remember that coming out party he had against Wisconsin in college where they actually finally let him run at Oregon and it was like a brand new player, right? You're always you could potentially get that type of rushing production from Justin. He is not just a pocket guy, even though he is great in the pocket. And so I feel like QB7 is dare I say, a value for Justin Herbert. Not to mention, oh, by the way, his offensive coordinator is better this year. His assortment of weapons is better this year. His offensive line is better this year. I would argue that he's probably going to finish as like a top four or five quarterback. And if you're getting him at QB7 right now, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. I would probably take him, I would say about QB5, feels
0: about right, because mostly because Kellen Moore's here. They're going to unlock him. We're going to see... Hopefully the passing explosion. I don't feel like they're going to design runs for him, even though he is fast as hell. Like if the defense does the whole Red Sea parts and leaves him 20 yards at green, he'll go take 15 and slide very, very easily. He is really fast. But in the first couple of years in the league, he's also been really banged up. So I don't yeah. feel like they're going to expose him to that unnecessarily. He can get the free ones. Are they going to, you know, basically program in some extra hits for him? I think they'll shy away from that, but I'm willing to bet that the increased passing offense will offset that and
1: he'll end up somewhere around QB5, mostly just on his arm. Pay him a half a billion first and then you can call some design runs. How about that? Sure. Uh looking at the weapons that Justin's throwing to, you know, and we will we will dive into Quentin Johnston uh, significantly when we go over the draft class, but I want to touch on him here as well. I feel like people haven't quite caught up to what this charging receiving, Chargers receiving core is right now. I feel like people, with all due respect to Keenan, I feel like people have this image in their head of Keenan from like a few years ago hmm. and they think he's still that. I think he, at least on film, even before injury last year, there has been a slowdown. There has been a step lost. Right now, he's going as wide receiver 19, while Mike is going as wide receiver 24. To me, right now, Mike is the better receiver. They both have had their injury issues, but if I had to take a guess of who the leading receiver for the Chargers is going to be, it's going to be Mike Williams, and he's going significantly after Keenan. And I just feel like... um, You know, maybe the the best ball community hasn't quite caught up to that yet. Not to mention QJ is going as wide receiver 42, which for a rookie is is fairly normal, I would say, especially for a rookie that's going to be a wide receiver three on his own team. But when you look at the role that QJ is going to play, um, I don't think I touched on this earlier, but if you look at the air yards percentage last year, the percentage of yards that came uh, before the catch rather than after the catch, the Chargers were 27th in terms of uh, air yards percentage last mm-hmm. year, so they did somewhat rely on yards after the catch, but at the same time they weren't super great at it in yeah, the they wide didn't receiver position. <laughs> and so that's kind of why they brought Johnston in is for an offense that did kind of rely so much on their receivers just making a guy miss so that uh, – and again – Lombardi called a lot of hitches and everything like that. Well, guess who broke more tackles and got more yards after catch on hitches than anybody else in college football last year by a super wide margin? It's Quentin Johnson. Again, I do not anticipate them throwing 87 hitches again this year, but when they do, QJ can actually get explosives off of that. So his role is going to be as a number three that you can give the ball, you know, six, seven yards passing line of scrimmage and maybe get a 20, 30-yard gain. And right now, he's going as like a wide receiver four, but he may well outproduce Keenan. I would not be surprised because he's huge, he's fast, he's explosive, he's unbelievable with the ball in his hands. And again, with all due respect to Keenan, he's not what he was. And if I had to rank them in terms of what I expect their production to be this year... It's Mike, it's QJ, and then it's Keenan. Two points,
0: we'll go Keenan first. Keenan I feel like is entering at this point of his career sort of the Adam Thielen phase. It's fair, yeah. Super savvy, great catcher of the football, knows how to get open, when he gets open he's gonna make the catch, knows how to use his body, has good size, that's what you're getting. That's pretty much where it's ending these days. You're not going to see a ton of breakaway receptions. You're not going to see a ton of receptions down the field. Not that you ever did, but you saw more of them before. And now he's really confined to that role more so than he has been. You're still going to see the occasional explosion, but he's been plagued by injuries. He's had some health, but in overall terms, five years ago, I was like Keenan's one of the top five receivers in the NFL that doesn't get his love because he is doing all those things and just nobody's paying attention. Now he's doing the first two thirds of those things. And the other third, you're, you're just likely not going to see. So I'm with you on Keenan QJ in his role in this offense. It's funny that you mentioned hitches because that was his breakaway route in college. So it feels almost like a, a little bit of a doubler here, which is hell yeah, throw less hitches, but get way more out of every one that you do throw. Yeah, So don't throw 87, throw like 47. But still get more yards out of (laughs) him. But get the same number of (laughs) yards out of 47 that you got out of 87 because you have a guy that is so explosive. Um, The move, for those of you that have not yet watched Quentin Johnson film, it feels like a vertical version of the move that Russell Wilson basically patented as a quarterback
1: to get out of sacks. Oh, the kind of like take a step and you lean into it and then you spin back out. He always would bait people into that where he would catch while kind of like doing this little hop and he would be squared in the line of scrimmage while doing this little hop and he would almost plan it out, right? Where mm-hmm. he's turning as he's catching, dipping his shoulder inside because he's literally just trying to bait the corner into going like getting, getting his weight you know, on his near foot, near foot. shoulder. foot. Yep. And then he would spin off of it outside and get
0: 30 yards because he's explosive. He's tall. He's fast. But if you're familiar with that Russell Wilson move that he has eyes in the back of his head early in his career, he would feel the rusher coming from the backside. He would lean towards the line. Rusher would try and take an inside path and he would spin out and basically grant himself two more seconds to throw the ball. That's the horizontal version. QJ does that, but he just does it vertically on a hitch turns his back to the defensive back. Catches the ball to one side, gives that lean, gets the weight going towards that side, then spins and explodes with his, you know, unreal athleticism and can pick up huge gains. So I feel like, yeah, throw less hitches, but get almost the same amount out of them because you drafted a player to leverage that route that is in your offense. So that's kind of the the current state of what we expect the Chargers receiving
1: core to be. And then you've got Austin Eckler. Yeah, he's going as RB2 because he's Austin Eckler. He's going to catch a million balls. He's going to be super efficient in the red zone. He's one of the only uh, 200-ish pound running backs to ever also be great in short yardage. I've never understood the physics behind him, but he's got ridiculous contact balance. Pound for pound, one of the strongest players in the league. Great route runner, great hands. I'm really happy that he's still there. Um, I, I haven't done any research on what's going on with the contract. I don't know if they... If they're working anything out, I, I got to look at it. It's that quieted up, down.
0: It seems fate to complete. It seems settled at this point that he is going to play for what they are talking about or agreed to. Um, for those of you that aren't familiar with the Austin Eckler situation, there was a lot of uh, noise about I want to be traded. I'm not being compensated fairly. This is a very common running back conversation as they get later in their career. It's either pay me now or let me go so I can get a market contract and make the best use of my later years. Um, seems to be that both sides have sort of come together and that they're settled that he'll be there this year. Uh, trade
1: talks, I haven't heard anything about in oh, probably three weeks. Well, keep in mind, we're recording this like mid-June, so yeah. you know maybe something will change by the time this releases. But it seems like he's gonna be there this year, and yeah. I'm super stoked because he's one of the best running backs in the league. Now, you're not going to get him at a value because again, he's going as RB2. Yeah. He's like a, you know, first round ADP all day long. Justin's QB7. You're not like you are getting a slight value on him for where I think he's going to finish, but he's not like an insane value. Yeah. If you are value hunting in fantasy, I would just take advantage of the current perception of the receiving core and I would fade Keenan and I would more focus on Mike Williams as wide receiver 24. Uh, and I would focus on QJ as wide receiver 42 and try to hammer them as much as you possibly can because you're getting QJ in like the 80s, which is really, really good value. Again, if you want to uh, do either best ball drafts, maybe you're going after that $15 million prize pool, which, by the way, you can do in California. Again, I live in L.A. and I, I play in Underdog every single day. Uh, we're allowed to here. EJ is not because he lives in I Washington. am if
0: I'm here, but yes. I
1: can't at home. So that's why he keeps coming down. That's right. That's the reason <laughs> I keep do coming down. Not draft. these episodes, purely just to play Underdog. things. Uh, promo code bootleg on Underdog will match your deposit up to $100. So that will give you up to $100 extra to use on the platform if that... Happens to be what you deposit. And you can use that on either Best Ball Mania entries. If you're going after those millions in prize pools there, uh, you can use them on like season-long, higher or lowers. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I, I got to look up what Quentin Johnson... We'll throw it on screen. I'll, I'll send it to Jay and he'll throw it on screen for like... Uh, think of it like a like an over-under for yeah. yardage and touchdowns and everything. They have them for hundreds of players around the league. So if you have a, a, a feeling about what QJ is going to do, you can... Uh, you know, throw some money down on that. Uh, you can do pickems week to week during the season. There's a whole lot you could do an underdog. So again, promo code bootleg, underdog fantasy. They'll match your deposit up to a hundred, and it directly helps the show because when you uh, sign up for our sponsors, they come back That's and right. they they fund this whole series. Uh, with that being said, EJ, let's talk about free agency.
0: A lot of losses in Chargers land, a lot of names that fans will recognize, players that uh, the team had high hopes for. Some of them had great production. Many of them did not, largely due to injury. The one that ticks off the top of my list is Nasir Adderley. I had incredibly high hopes for him. He had good impact when he got to the team. They brought him in to be the second safety next to Derwin. Um, I really liked him in the draft, so I was a little biased. Uh, He moves on. Bryce Callahan, who they brought in, who is a nickel extraordinaire when healthy which is the biggest caveat, probably one of the top five nickels in the league when he's healthy, not healthy all the time. They let him go as well. Kyle Van Noy, who's played the sort of edge but also everything, roving linebacker role for them. Matt Filer played 99% of their snaps, moves on to be a Bucks guard. Drew Tranquil, one of the linebacker stalwarts for the Chargers. Moves on to be the Chiefs linebacker. He played 93% of the snaps, so we're starting to add up a lot of snaps on defense that they're going to have to replace. And you mentioned DeAndre Carter earlier. Big wide receiver for the Chargers last year. Ended up playing almost 60% of their snaps, again, due to injury. He moves on to be a target for the Raiders. Overall, nobody I'm terribly sad about, but a lot of folks that have played a lot of downs, are very familiar facets for the Chargers, who won't be there, and they made moves to replace a lot of them. So again, not overwhelmingly sad, uh, unless one of these guys was your favorite player, but there will be
1: some changes in the team. I mean, I've always been a big Kyle Noy fan, so you know how I feel about him. Uh, but I would say, like, Kendricks, even though I love Drew Tranquil, Kendricks is an upgrade, um, Callahan, I do feel like they have answers at nickel that at this point in Callahan's career uh, would also be an upgrade there too. So again, nothing crazy mm-hmm. in terms of losses, nothing that I, I wouldn't be uh, super sad about right. in terms of who they did bring back. Uh, Donald Parham, you know, big six, seven gigantic <laughs> tight end. emphasis on the word big uh, Trey Pipkins, who has made leaps and bounds. Yeah uh, strides, I should say, uh, under the tutelage of Duke Manny, Weather, um, you know, he and Rashawn are both Duke clients and, and Duke swears by Pipkin, uh, by Pipkins, excuse me. And, um, you know, he's in terms of his development arc, it reminds me a lot of, uh, you remember Derek Newton with yeah. Houston, right? Uh, before, unfortunately his career got derailed by a double patella tendon tear when he was in Houston. Like one snap, he tore both at the same time. Never saw him again. But uh, Newton started out very similar to Pipkins, where would just get constantly beat, right? And, and the physical tools were there, but the technique was not. And then a few years into Pipkin or in, into Newton's career, he battled, he battled, he battled, and he got better and better and better. All of a sudden, he was one of the most effective right tackles in the entire NFL. Uh, Pipkins is in the middle of that same arc right now, where. The Pipkins of two years ago is nothing like the Pipkins of right now. And in fact, I would I would be confident in him as my starting right tackle uh, with, with Justin Herbert as my quarterback in the sense that I trust him to protect the merchandise. And if you told me two years ago that I was going to be there with Pipkins, I, I would have said you're crazy. <laughs> but he has put in the work. He has gotten so much better. He's really taken a Duke's tutelage, and I think that – uh, the revival of Trey Pipkins is just yet another success story a Success story for Duke Mannyweather and why he's arguably the best offensive line tutor in the industry. The Chargers have needed that. They've gone through lots of names at right
0: tackle. We won't trigger any Chargers fans with folks that uh, came before
1: Pipkins. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I said we weren't going to torture the Chargers fans. That was your choice really cool to see a team recognize that a player has put in the work that they are being more effective they still get a really good deal on him as a starting right tackle you know seven and a quarter million very affordable and really good deal for both sides recognizes his growth as a tackle it's a great spot chargers get some stability at a spot they've needed some at so love the pipkin story
1: they also brought back morgan fox one of my favorites uh Somebody who, if I was going to just describe a player as a four eye, it would be Morgan Fox. Like, he's not a five. He's not a three. He's a four eye. He's somebody who line up on the inside shoulder of the offensive tackle and you say, We need you to knife inside of the B gap and stop the run. And we need you to be, um, you know, really slippery on stunts and win with quickness and just play that spot, that four eye Mm -hmm. spot. And he is excellent at that. Again, Not a full-time player, the most niche of niche role players. But in a defense that uses four eyes quite a bit, he's great for them. So love that they brought him back. Uh, Guyton they also brought back because, you know, again, the thing they were missing from their receiving core last year was speed. Guyton was also another one of these guys that got hurt, and he's the fastest receiver still in the receiving core, even after drafting QJ. Guyton's still, you know, one of the only sub-4-4 guys they got. Um, J.K. Scott they brought back. Uh, let's see, and Cameron Dicker, the kicker, they brought him back as well. And Easton Stick also re-signed him too. In terms of third-party additions, uh, might be the shortest list uh, out of any team, to be perfectly honest. Uh, pretty much the only one at all that's notable is Eric Kendricks on a fairly reasonable six and a half million dollar deal. Again, if you compare the Eric Kendricks contract to the top of the market at like twenty-ish million, this to me is a great value. Yeah, six, just over six and a half million. You're really paying for the experience.
0: It is an upgrade in terms of that for the Chargers. I think he will play a pivotal role. I hope he stays healthy. Um, Always been one of my favorite players. It was very high on him coming out in the draft um, early in his career. Took a little while to get going, but very quickly after that established a very high level of play and maintained it um, in the NFC North. It'll be cool to see him in that defense. Turning to the draft, we've talked about Quentin Johnson, who was their pick in the first round at 21 overall. Round two, pick 54, one of my all-time favorites in this draft, Tule Tule Poloto from USC, captain that defense, Um, call him an edge, call him a defensive end, depends. For me, he's purely an edge. I think he's got two great role models in this defense to come in and continue expanding what is already a really diverse and awesome skill set Very good at a lot of things. Was super happy to see him land in this particular spot. Round three, one of your favorites in the entire draft. Pick 85. Love him. Linebacker Deion Henley from Washington State. Converted wide receiver. Guy that can just fly around the field. Uh, Reminds me a little bit of one of your favorites from last year, Malcolm Rodriguez, who ended up in Detroit. But bigger. But bigger. Um, Very fluid. Has things to learn. But again, Kendricks is a key point there. He can. Play a similar style, doesn't have the size, uh, and I don't think is at the place that Kendricks was when he was drafted, but his ceiling is as higher, higher. So another great spot for him and gives them depth. We talked about that at the top of the podcast, sort of insulating yourself against, well, we've spoken glowingly about Kendricks. What happens if he comes in and gets injured? Well, got some younger players who hopefully can step into the void. Round four, pick one twenty-five, Darius Davis from TCU. How do you feel about this? This was where I felt like yeah. <laughs> Tom Telesco and
1: I sort of diverged. He's pretty small. Like that was that was kind of my thing with him. It was very similar to uh, to Tank Dell, um, except Darius is not the receiver that Tank is, yeah. but he is really small. Like a similar, if I recall correctly, about the same weight. I think they were both mid one sixties. Um, I think Tank might have been a little bit taller, but which is a scary. Thought. I know, very <laughs> scary thought. But he's he's freaking tiny. I think he's going to be more of a role player for them, uh, not somebody who I would expose to contact that much. More so, uh, you know, we'll give him some jet sweeps here and there, um, which is what TCU did. They would they would threaten the edge with him as a ball carrier on jet sweeps. Um, you know, maybe if we feel like we're going up against a defense, is going to give us some good looks for screens. Um, maybe if we're going up against a single high defense where we think we can get him to cross the safety's face on a deep cross again, it's, it's niche applications here. He's really fast. He's really explosive, but by God, he's tall or not tall, tiny. <laughs> yeah. By God, he's <laughs> it's the what opposite That's what of I get tall. for giving myself four ounces of Mezcal on this thing. Yes.
0: Round five, pick 156. Tackle Jordan McFadden from Clemson. We want to talk about him a little bit in terms of him being what I would call the Chargers type. They've taken linemen like him later on in the draft that fit sort of their developmental curve, not where they think they're going to end up. Has a lot of similar skills, reminds me a little bit of Pipkins, reminds me actually a little bit of Storm Norton, who I liked coming out in the draft. And again, their hope is that he will develop. They see those traits in him. I actually like that pick. Round six, pick 200, they go get Scott Matlock from Boise State, who, strangely enough, is a lot like a player you just mentioned, Morgan Fox. Like he feels like a Mm four-eye, I don't want to say clone, but (laughs) someone you're going to attach to Morgan Fox's hip and say, hey, this guy's got a lot of similar physical makeup and play style, learn what you can from him because this is an important role in our defense. They get a good, what I would consider really good value on him, way down in the sixth. And then round seven, they go get Darius Davis's quarterback from TCU, Max Dugan, uh, who a lot of people had higher grades on than I did. I wasn't wild about him. I think of him more like uh I think of him more like a gamer. And I actually wonder how much Kellen Moore had to play in this pick. Like whether they, you know, weighed in and said, what do you think? Because if I was Kellen Moore, Max Dugan would remind me of me.
1: <laughs> I see what you're saying. Yeah. Um I think looking at at what he brings to the table, he's a great leader. He's a phenomenal person. Yes. Great in the locker room. Super hard worker. Also Kellen. <laughs> really good runner. Better runner than Kellen was. Mm. Agreed. Part of my conspiracy theory here <laughs> is that there's going to be a package of four like specific design quarterback runs mm. of like, we don't want to get Justin hurt. Uh, uh, so a stunt double. A sneak double. Fair enough. I like it. You know, you just coined a new term. I mean, the Chiefs don't run sneaks with Mahomes. They bring in, you know, insert tight end that used to play quarterback to run our sneaks, right? right. Uh, I I kind of get the sense that if they're going to use him at all as a rookie, it's going to be for that. Because he is really strong. He's a great runner. And if we don't want to expose our uh, giant 6'5 quarterback to having a bunch of bodies pile on top of him, I think he would be the answer for that. As a passer, I'm right there with you. I, I don't see it. But I I do think there is a niche application here where where he fits the bill. And it's a seventh-round pick, so who cares? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Overall, when looking at uh, the draft class, their first three, absolutely loved it, right? Mm -hmm. QJ. Now, would I have gone with Zay Flowers? Yes. I'm being completely honest here. I would have gone with Zay. Yeah. But for what the Chargers were looking for, which was yards after catchability, QJ was the best in this class. So while I'm looking at overall grades, yes, he wasn't my top graded receiver that was on the board. For the role that he's going to play, I completely understand it. And they love size. And they love size. Thule to a below 2. Yeah. Moving on. Uh, again, one of my favorite edge rushers in this class. Uh, also has size. Has great flexibility, like unnatural flexibility in his hips for somebody who is built like him. Uh, Has power. You don't have to sell me on Thule. I'm good. No, he's awesome. As an inside outside guy who can light up in a variety of different spots, I I love him. Uh, Dayon, I was super high on Mm Dayan. Rangy linebacker with cover skills. Also great in the locker room. Uh, You know, played a bunch of positions. Former quarterback in high school, played receiver, is a returner. Eventually, ended up at linebacker. He's kind of a do-it-all guy. And then the rest, I was kind of, eh, okay, whatever. But, like, the top three, like, if you nail your top three, fine. Successful draft. Yeah, day one and two, right there, thinking this is going to
0: be an all-timer. After that, okay, I see that you filled some spots.
1: Value on the Boise State guy. Uh, you know, okay, we can live with it. In terms of undrafted free agents, uh, this is honestly, like... I feel like they kind of got more value here than they did with their actual day three picks. Like, they got Gerard Clark out of Coastal Carolina, which if we're looking for more size to add to the interior defensive line rotation because we couldn't friggin' stop the run last year, I don't know why Clark went undrafted. No. Zero idea because he was a dominant force. Uh, Like, maybe it was a health thing. I don't know. But he was really big, really long incredible like shock in his hands like he's got dynamite for hands there had to have been some reason that I'm not aware of for why he went undrafted because I, th- I thought he could have gone on like the fourth round and I would have totally understood it so getting him was awesome mm-hmm. uh, Cam Brown they got out of Ohio State I know that you were a fan of him uh, Taiwan Mullen I did not get to I didn't get to watch him out of Indiana uh, but I know you highlighted him so you must have some notes there and then AJ Finley who we both saw at Shrine Bowl. Huge safety. He's like 6'3", 210, rangy, fluid. Uh, Could play deep in the post, could play up in the box. You know, had some experience in the slot. Again, kind of a do-it-all guy. Great dude, too. Really smart. Got to interview him at the Shrine Bowl. Sat down with him, watched film with him. Uh, Still don't understand why he went undrafted. Maybe there was a health thing. But, you know, their their UDFAs, at least two of them, I would have swapped with their actual draft picks, and I would have been happier about it, to be honest. Yeah, it's a very good pull for the UDFA
0: class. Gerard Clark, I'm with you. Even with uh, sort of positional devaluation, he's a traditional nose tackle. Those guys tend to go a little bit later. With the amount of force and just suddenness he showed at his size, I fifth round, good to go. Don't understand why he slipped out there very well. Could be a medical thing, off the field thing we don't know about. Um, Cam Brown from Ohio State feels like the kind of corner we opened the show talking about. Big guy who can push on the outside, didn't ha- isn't the most fluid. But I think, again, a little bit like Jordan McFadden in the tackle role, they think they he has qualities and skills they can develop. Um, might end up on the practice squad, but that's fine. He's a UDFA. Uh, Taiwan Mullen, both the guys, both the corners from Indiana, got a bunch of pre-draft buzz, didn't get picked. Another good value for them to just kind of stuff away and say, hey, what do we have here? Is he going to start the season? Is he going to make the practice squad? You know, does he end up being our fifth corner, sixth corner, however many we keep? And then Finley, great size, great range, but throughout the process, nobody was talking about him. We were ever. We were trying to pump him up after Shrine Bowl, having sat with him, saw his range on tape. Never heard people's arguments against him because nobody ever talked about him. They didn't talk about pros and cons. Um, Very easily could have seen him getting drafted. I wouldn't have been surprised by that at all. I wasn't terribly surprised he didn't get drafted because it was like radio silence. Nobody ever said anything about him, but for his size, his speed, playing in a big conference, the biggest conference, having, you know, success in multiple years, it didn't seem like seemed like the kind of guy that would absolutely get picked
1: up in the later rounds just for that, just for the profile. Didn't happen. There were some safeties that did get drafted that I did not have as high a grade on as AJ Finley. So again, correct. You know, everybody else has lost, the Chargers gain, uh, and that brings us to the report card. This is where we assign either an up, or an even, or a down to four categories: front office, coaching, offensive personnel, and defensive personnel. Uh, and this one's actually fairly positive. Front office, we're going with up. Uh, you know, with how they handled. Uh, free agency where they didn't really have any major losses, but they did have some really good re-signings of core talent. And, of course, bringing in Eric Kendricks, I would say that's a positive off grade for Tom Telesco, plus the draft. Like, we, we really like the first three picks. Yep. Um, not that we can, like, really grade the draft now, but in terms of what we think it will end up as being, positive year for them. Uh, coaching, up. Getting rid of Lombardi and bringing in Kellen Moore is nothing but an upgrade. Oh. We would be insane to do anything but up. Offensive personnel would also go up. Uh, You know, bringing in QJ, again, keeping Pipkins in-house, keeping Eckler. Yeah. Ideally, Keenan and Mike are going to be healthy. You know, we're five deep at receiver here. If we can just, you know, keep Justin healthy as well. This offense should be better this coming year. Um, And then defensive personnel, some slight turnover here and there, but... None of the major players have moved. Like, we still have our two best corners. We still got Joey, Khalil, you add in Thule. um, You know, uh, Deion's here. Kendricks is here. Uh, I would, at minimum, say even, but I would also argue for up there as well, just because of the the additions uh, that they've made to depth overall. I feel like they're more injury proof now than they were last year.
0: Yeah, I'm going to stick with flat. Again, flat's not bad. Neutral is not a negative. It is many of the same players, the same coaching staff over those players, Um, a little bit more depth, but that's not going to tick the needle over for me. They should be a very good defense. They have had that sort of distinction on paper in terms of their personnel for the last two years. Like, look at their pass rushers. Look at their secondary. This is a loaded defense that can make a difference. Again, got to see them stay healthy and do it. I'm going to go with even, but that's not a that's not a negative. That's not a shot. That's a, hey, they're fine, and they can
1: be very good if they all come together. That brings us to our final segment, ceiling and floor. This is each of us picking our ceiling for win total and our absolute floor for win total. For me, the bottom darn near fell out last year in terms of injuries. Like, Justin played hurt. Yep. So my floor for them, you know, if they were 10 last year, my floor for them is 9 simply because the only way they even hit 9 is if they are somehow even more injured this year than last year, (laughs) which I'm not even sure is even possible. Oh, Um, don't tempt Knock on wood, right? Um, But I'm still putting it as 9 because as long as your quarterback is Justin Herbert and with a play caller like Kellen Moore and with the weapons he has and with ideally, you know, the protection that he's going to have, it's going to be hard to beat this team more than eight times in a year, right? So I'm going to put my floor is nine and my ceiling is going to be among the best in the AFC. I'm putting them at 12. If they were in a different division, if you know, if they were in the AFC South, I'd probably put them at 13, Mm. but they're not They're playing against the chiefs twice playing against the Raiders twice, the Broncos twice. Uh, Now the Raiders are, if you watch the Raiders episode yesterday, probably going to be a fairly mid team, but, Would I be shocked if they ripped a win off the the Chargers? No. Like, they still have Hmm. talent in their own right. Um, Would I be shocked if the Broncos split with them? No. So, I feel like because of the division they're in and some of the opponents they have, like, if you look at their schedule, like, they're starting with Miami. They got to go through the entire AFC East. They got to deal with Buffalo. They got to deal with New England, which is a great defense in their own right. They got to deal with Aaron Rodgers and the Jets. There's a lot of tough teams mm-hmm. on the docket. Uh, I think they're also playing the the NFC North if I recall correctly, so they got to deal with the Lions, uh, they got to deal with the Vikings. Like it's it's going to be hard to win more than 12 games even if they're a better team than they were last year. So my ceiling for them is 12 and I think that's still as solid as any Chargers fan could hope for. My ceiling's 11 and it's for all the reasons you just mentioned. <laughs> They could
0: be a better team than last year, win 11, and probably go farther in the postseason. They do need to stay healthy, and that also tempers my expectations for both ceiling and floor because they just don't, and I would love to see them do it. I would love to see them exceed that mark and stay extremely healthy and have the games lost to injury be one of the lowest in the league. Wouldn't that be cool? But that just hasn't been the way they've done it. So, I don't think 11 is a knock. I think they can solidly get into the playoffs with 11 wins and be a very strong team. But 11's my ceiling. My floor is seven because they have been snake bitten by injury. If they have an injury, another injury to Justin Herbert because, again, it's not like it hasn't happened. He's proved extremely tough, and availability is a big thing for quarterback. He is a warrior. He's played through it. I hope he doesn't have to this year. Again, I would like to see this team operating at prime efficiency. Lowest possible injury rates, but if he goes down, you're talking about a downgrade to Easton Stick.
1: Yeah, it's and it's that's a little a, bit of a drop off.
0: That's there. a big drop. Easton Stick, very much a gamer, very much a tough guy in his own right, is nowhere near the equal of Justin as a quarterback. So that would be a thing. Injuries to Eckler going to be difficult to survive because of how many things he does. What a large percentage in terms of the overall NFL. He's one of the players that is the largest single percentage of his team's offense. If you were to lose again one guy that's sort of a linchpin that could you know plunge this team into very mid or mad mediocrity plus the slate you're talking about the afc east is going to be very very difficult to get through i think if you battle through all of that and come out you know with 11 wins as a ceiling seven as a floor you know that's the range i hope they're closer to 11 for all the chargers fans out there and and just you know from a sort of personal greedy perspective i want to see this team be the fully
1: operational battle station for once i want to see them play against the chiefs in the playoffs yes because i feel like they're one of the only teams the chiefs are i don't want to say scared of the chiefs aren't scared of anybody but in terms of uh teams that you know would give the chiefs a game it's cincinnati it's buffalo and it's the chargers and that's kind of it at least in the afc you know so they're, they're not afraid of the big, bad wolf, and that's what I love about this team. Is like They will always go like blow for blow with the best teams in the NFL. They won't always win for one reason or another, uh, mostly injuries, but they'll give you a fight. They'll give you a fight. Uh, so, And speaking of the Chiefs, by the way, we're coming back with them tomorrow. And then we got the AFC West wrap-up on Friday where you can see where the Chargers compare uh, both in terms of power score to every other team that we've talked about thus far. And also, we're gonna be picking uh, you know, MVP of the division, Offensive Player of the Year of the Division, Rookies of the Year, all that, and making a division winner prediction. Bump, bum, bum. If we have thoroughly inspired you about the Chargers fortunes this
0: year, which we hope we have, because we're pretty high on this team, go check out our clothing sponsor at homage.com. They have an NFL license. They've got 25, 30 designs for every team. So whether you like powder blue, dark blue, Classics, new stuff. Homages got you covered. Use the link in the description. Every purchase you make helps support the podcast.
1: We'll be back tomorrow talking Kansas City and everything they've done to try to defend their crown. And uh, yeah, see you in 24 hours. Later.